0: Hey, everyone. It's Dr. Tim and Hillary, our social media coordinator. And today we're going to do a podcast and talk about fish nutrition basics. How are you doing today, Hillary?
1: I'm doing good. I'm excited for this talk.
0: Yeah, people spend a lot of time and effort and money on their tank and filter and filtration and all the organisms that go in it, but then they don't really understand... Nutrition and fish nutrition, coral nutrition. We're going to talk about fish today. We can do coral another time, uh, is an important topic to maintain and uh, your fish and to keep them healthy and, uh, live a long life. They need to eat the correct types of food. And, uh, that's kind of like people feeding their dogs and cats, human food. That's not a good thing. And it's the same with fish. Uh, understanding of some basics can, uh, keep your tank cleaner because you're not just polluting it with organics or food and your fish will be more colorful and healthy. Yep. Yep. So let's start. So this is a talk I give to to clubs on a semi-regular basis. And um, a lot of people don't know much about me. So I'm the founder of Dr. Tim's Aquatics in 2007. Before that, I uh, was the chief science officer at Marineland Aquarium Products, Aquaria Inc. And uh, then I was, a, before that, a hatchery biologist at Aquatic Systems Incorporated, which uh, we raised hybrid striped bass out in the Southern California desert by Indio. Out of college, I went into the U.S. Peace Corps. I was in the Philippines as a Peace Corps volunteer raising penaeid shrimp. Um, my education... Lots of education. I did my PhD at Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, on the phylogenetics of nitrifying bacteria in aquaria. So it's very applied. Did my master's at San Diego State on ammonia toxicity and ammonia excretion in fish. And uh, did my bachelor's at San Diego State too. And while at San Diego State, I spent a year at the Institute of Limnology in Uppsala, Sweden, studying limnology, which is freshwater biology. That was in Swedish. So I had to learn Swedish quickly. Um, It's my first tank. Got my first tank when I was six years old. Still have it uh, in the lobby of our office here in Simi Valley. I got two goldfish at a school fair, promptly killed them. They didn't live 24 hours in the house. And uh, my mom told my uncle and he came over and gave me this aquarium. He was a dentist orthodontist and uh, gave me aquarium that he had in his storage. And I've had it ever since.
1: That's pretty cool. You have your first tank still.
0: Still. Yep. Slate bottom, tar in the corners. (laughs) It's, it's, it's an an antique. So what about diet? I mean, diet is everything, you know, food in, you got to feed, well, so there's maladies or, you know, not really diseases, but maladies and diseases actually that can be caused by the diet or a poor diet. And that includes scoliosis, um, laterosis, scoliosis, the fish go um, kind of left to right, laterosis, the curvature is up and down, as you can see in the x-rays, uh, stringy poop that is uh, not normal. Fish shouldn't have stringy poop. And then there's also uh, bloat. You know, a lot of people wanna think that this is due to uh, some type of bacterial disease, but most bloat is the fish can't digest properly what you're feeding them. And we're gonna talk about that in in this talk. Another real common malady is the upside down goldfish. And the common thing is, oh, it's uh, got swim bladder disease. No, it doesn't have swim bladder disease. The uh, fish, especially goldfish, what people don't know is fish, goldfish don't have stomachs. They have a very long intestinal tract. And when you feed them diets high in carbs, basically they get clogged up. And then that uh, carbohydrate start to be broken down by bacteria into gas and the is abdomen swells up full of gas like a blimp, and that turns it upside down. And that's why the common wives' tail uh, remedies of brine shrimp or peas work because that's roughage and it helps clear out the intestinal tract. So, with your goldfish, you need to feed uh, a much better diet than your. Common fish, which I would always feed a better diet, but poor diets is what causes uh, goldfish to be upside down.
1: You know, you mentioned peas and I got to say, I can't count how many people I've told when I've seen symptoms like this. I'm like, you should try feeding them peas. And they're like, what? I'm like, yep, just just trust me. It'll work.
0: <laughs> it'll work. Yep. It, it, it works. It's uh, goldfish. What do they, you know, think about what a goldfish does and you should do this with with all your fish. They're in a pond, lake, river, and they're eating the what's called the aufwuchs which is a German word for just the, the benthic algae, the, whether it's uh, plant protein or animal protein. But they're grazing on this material, and they're slowly digesting that through their, through their whole digestive tract, and we tend to clog them up. With the foods which which I'm going to talk about, why why we do that? We don't intend to do it. That's just what happens. So most people, when it comes to feeding, think, well, I'll just feed flake food, and uh, that's it. Everything's great. And flake foods are okay, but if you ate a hamburger. That's all you ate, just a hamburger every day, three times a day. I don't think your nutrition would be very good. You wouldn't feel very well. And eventually over time, you'd probably not do too well because you're not getting a well-rounded when we say balance, we mean well-rounded. You need the 21 amino acids and and the proteins and things like that. And by eating the same thing all the time, you don't get it. Now, flakes, they're convenient. They're not the most nutritionist food, but they can belong in a fish food diet. They just shouldn't be the sole diet that you feed your fish. And it also depends on the fish. They, Like I say, they need supplementing. And the important thing is variety. Just like I'm sure your doctor tells you, you need a, a variety of things in your diet. But... What does that mean? I mean, there's a bewildering number of choices. You've got flakes and you've got pellets and freeze dried foods and frozen foods, live foods, uh, gel type foods that we make. What should you feed? And the answer is maybe a little bit of everything, but you have to figure out what your fish is, where it eats. Does it eat at the surface only? Does it pick at the bottom? Does it eat mostly plant material? Does it eat mostly animal material? And and that's where you have to start.
1: You mentioned like paying attention to where your fish is going to naturally feed. We're talking about flake food. It's interesting. I feel like I see flakes being fed more in freshwater environments than I would in salt. But if you think about it, I don't know of so many saltwater fish that actually are feeding at the surface, which maybe I guess is why like you got to think about where the fish are living at in the water column per what kind of food you need to feed.
0: Exactly. And if, if you're uh, feeding uh, no, this is a fresh uh, hatchet fish. I mean, they stay at the surface. If you put hatchet fish in an aquarium, they're always at the surface. You've got some fish uh, that are always in the middle and then, you know, fish at, fish at the bottom. Feeding a floating food to a tank of uh, catfish that are on the bottom <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't really make sense. So where do not. your fish f- fish feed exactly? And then, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I've got a carnivore, I'm just going to feed live goldfish. And that that's well, not a good diet. That's terrible too. Or I'm going to feed brine shrimp, but brine shrimp... Are not all that nutritious, especially adult brine shrimp are hardly nutritious. It's kind of like if you have reptiles, they feed you know feed crickets, but crickets are a hollow shell. You need to do what they call gut load. the The crickets need to eat something nutritious, and then when the when the reptile eats the cricket, it gets that nutritious uh, particle of food that the cricket ate. The same thing can happen with fish
1: and jellyfish too. We We feed brine shrimp to the jellies at the aquarium, but we always, a lot of times we'll gut load them with all sorts of different things. So they're much more nutritious when the jellies get them.
0: Exactly. So what, like I said, what organisms are you keeping? You know, angelfish rainbow, there's a rainbow, uh, Australian rainbow back in there, or are you keeping mostly corals, clownfish, or, or maybe some soft or hard corals, Bengai cardinals. How about the, the clam down there? What are you going to feed that? All these organisms eat different uh, things. Um, here's you know, a carnivore. Uh, what are you going to feed that? Is this fish going to eat flake? Probably, probably not. Um, koi. Koi are like goldfish. They don't have the, the stomach. So you have to feed them a different diet. They're very colorful. Any fish that's super colorful, you can pretty much count on that plant material, the carotenoids, fancy word for the pigments um, that are in plant-based uh, proteins, they're responsible for that coloration. So you need to consider that with what food you're giving them. Some, some basics of fish nutrition. Every fish needs animal and plant proteins. The amino acids come from the proteins. Then they need fats. You know, fats get kind of a bad rap. There's good fats and there are bad fats, but we need fats. We need vitamins and minerals. And for top appearance, we want them to have color enhancers. And the reason for that is that most people try to keep algae out of the tank. But most fish in one form or another, even that grouper I showed, is going to get algae because it's probably going to eat another fish that was feeding on the algae. So the fish kind of, like we say, gut loaded itself with algae, and then the grouper ate it, so it gets the benefit of that algae. And then you want immune system boosters. There are certain um, products that you can add to your diet or make sure they're in your diet that boosts this, the immune system of fish. And then probiotics. There's a lot of research uh, and the initial research or much of the research on human probiotics was conducted on fish. So there's, there's definite uh, advantages to having probiotics in your food.
1: So when you're looking for a fish food, a good fish food should have all of those components in it, correct?
0: Yes. And... That means that it's going to be more expensive, you know, and, 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 but if you're going to keep an animal, you have a responsibility to feed it correctly, not, not, you know, cheap out and just feed it cheap, you know, cheap food. You, you need to care for it and it will, it'll pay off though in that they let, they live longer. They're more colorful. They're healthy. They're just look better. It's, it's just like your dog or cat. If you feed a cheap food to your dog or cat, the furs matted, it's scabby. They don't look healthy. They're lethargic. The same with fish.
1: With fish and all every aspect of aquarium and fish keeping and coral keeping, like you really do get what you pay for. so if you buy something cheap, probably going to break right off or your fish aren't going to look as colorful or as healthy. So invest in your fish,
0: invest in your hobby. Right. Um, so animal proteins, the positive is they attract fish. They're palatable. They've got a good, uh, amino acid profile and they provide, you know, lots of energy. The negatives is they can produce lots of nitrogenous waste. This is the ammonia. So fish are different than humans in that when fish eat, they take the protein which is most it's a lot of nitrogen and they convert that into ammonia and the ammonia diffuses out of the gills this is for what we call bony fish or uh, uh, rays like bony fish are called teleosts but rays sharks and rays they are Uh, fish that have cartilage, they don't have bones. And they actually are more like humans in that they produce urea. In a human, you eat protein, it produces ammonia, but then your kidney takes that ammonia and it recycles it basically and converts it to urea and stores the urea until you have to, you know, discharge the urea and that costs energy. With fish swimming around in water, you can convert the, the protein right to ammonia and the ammonia diffuses right out of the gills into the water. And there's no cost to the, to the fish. That's called passive diffusion. So that, there's a big difference there. And the amount of ammonia produced by fish is directly related to the amount of protein. So if you look at the back of a fish label, and if it's 20% protein versus one that's 40% protein, basically the 40% protein food is going to produce twice as much ammonia as the 20% protein food. So as I say, 65% or as much as 65% of the protein is excreted as ammonia out of the gills. 10% is solid waste. It's it's different than in humans. Um, Now, in plant proteins, the positive is they generally have less nitrogenous waste, and they can be a good source of energy and a decent amino acid profile. But for many, they're not as, for many fish, they're not as palatable. People like to talk about like spirulina, and spirulina is a great additive or great to have in a food, but if you put too much spirulina in the food, the fish won't eat it. It's kind of like that crazy cinnamon challenge on um, YouTube. that Kids do. You just can't palate. You just can't eat it. It's it's unpalatable, and that's the same with fish and many of the plant proteins. Is they're not really uh, attractive. The fish aren't attracted to them. So some so you comments.
1: couldn't say. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It probably wouldn't be possible to have a fish food that's all made with, say, like plant proteins. You would need a mix of both.
0: Correct. Um, Plant proteins are generally cheaper, um, but one, they don't provide a complete amino acid profile. So your fish will eventually get sick if all you did was feed it um, plant protein. It would get the scoliosis and the laterosis that we showed in the first slides. Um, you, you need animal proteins, a mix.. Yep. And what this slide is showing is uh, sources of different types of protein. Now in animal protein, the most common is fish meal. then um, you'll look and we're, I think I've got a picture of a label, show you how to read that what it means. But you've got uh, fish meal, dried qu- krill, some squid, shrimp meal also. In the plant proteins, the most common is soybean and alfalfa, whole wheat flour. There's a lot of wheat because that's a binder. The wheat gluten, the corn gluten, all that is a, is a binder. But there's a problem <laughs> with that is is gluten. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute.
1: I was just going to say most of those plant proteins on that list look like they're probably in foods to be a binder, fill the role of a binder.
0: Exactly. That's that's what they are. So the flake stays together. So the pellet stays together um, when you put it in the water. So we're not going to go too deep into this, but I keep on mentioning amino acids where they're the building blocks. They're the ABCs of proteins, and we all need proteins. And there's 23 of these. And there's two groups, which are called the essential and the non-essential. 10 of the 23 amino acids are considered essential, meaning the fish has to have them to survive and grow. They have to be provided in the diet. They can't get it from the water. And they're needed just for regular cell maintenance, for growth, for reproduction. If you're trying to spawn a fish, you've got a pair and you're trying to spawn them, they have to have an excellent diet in order for the female to produce uh, good eggs and just the energy that's going to go into it. And then certain amino acids are an energy source. That's their source of glucose, which is uh, used for energy. Since proteins can come from different sources, fish may not get all the necessary amino acids. Like I said, if you're just feeding one diet, one, one thing. Most likely, that doesn't have all these amino acids or all the essential amino acids, and the fish will suffer. That's why we stress feeding a varied diet. Now, there's also yes.
1: So, is it possible for the amino acids? Like, I know some foods you'll see they have expiration dates. Is it possible for those to like degrade over time?
0: They can oxidize, yes. But what is most common is the vitamins. Like vitamins, vitamin C uh, degrades quite rapidly. And that's why I'm not sure 10, maybe longer years ago, um, company came out with what they called a stabilized vitamin C that Mm. lasts longer um, when, when it's packaged. Like with our food, we actually nitrogen fill, and at the end of the talk, we'll talk about our gel food, but in those pouches, we purge the oxygen because an oxidizing environment produces or promotes oxidation, which you don't want. And we, we fill it with nitrogen to keep it as an inert environment. And that slows down the oxidation of the different vitamins. So it's mostly the vitamins that are going to uh, expire over time. You
1: actually just answered. I have a a question that is about vitamin C, but you just answered it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no worries. We can come back to it. Um, so lipids, which are primary, primarily fats are necessary because this is the primary energy source for fish and it can substitute for protein. So fish can get energy from fats instead of proteins and lipids can Supply twice as much energy as protein and carbohydrates. And this is important with fish because humans get most of their energy from carbohydrates. We process carbohydrates and to a certain extent proteins into energy. Fish can produce or can process fats into energy. But you can get too much of a good thing. If if you start throwing in lots of protein, that's not good for, the, um, fish. And the same, if, if you want to, you know, just let's feed lipids, you know, let's just feed fats. Well, that's not a good thing either. So the kind of the moral is nothing is in excess is good. That's the same with humans, but what will happen with fish is that you'll get excess fat, uh, deposition. And and I've been to public aquariums where the fish literally look like footballs. When you look down, yeah, they take you in the back and you're looking down from the stairs or the the rail down into the water at the fish. And it's like, those are footballs with fins. And that's just excess fat deposition from a diet that is uh, too high in lipids.
1: I've seen those fish quite a few of them. Yeah. It's usually always the tangs too.
0: Yeah. They're pretty much pigs. Um, and this is also, you've, you've got fat soluble vitamins because there's two types of vitamins, water soluble vitamins and fat soluble vitamins. Um, and lipids and fats fat are the source of fatty acids or what we call the hoofas and the pufas. And this is what if there's one thing you come away from this talk with is knowing the difference between the hoofas and the poofas. So lipids include fatty acids. You've heard the omega-3 type, we will, you know, those come from plants, or omega-6 types, and those come from animals. We're not going to go into the chemistry. People can look that up. So poofas are polyunsaturated fatty acids, and they have... Great, you know, greater than two double bonds. And then hoofas are highly unsaturated fatty acids. And that means they have greater than four double bonds in their chemical structure. And lipids are necessary for basically all your metabolic functions and many cellular membrane components and things like that. But where it's important is that freshwater fish just need poofas, polyunsaturated fatty acids, because they can make highly unsaturated fatty acids from the polyunsaturated. So they can make hoofas from poofas. They need all fish need both. Freshwater fish can make hoofas from poofas, but saltwater fish can't. Saltwater fish cannot make the unsaturated, the highly unsaturated fatty acids from polyunsaturated fatty acids. They have to have them both in the diet. And that's why you need to feed a food from a reputable manufacturer that contains both of these for saltwater fish. Feeding saltwater fish a, uh inexpensive, cheap freshwater diet is pretty much a recipe for disaster. I guess pun intended. Um, so, what what are the sources of hoof, of hoofas? Well, zooplankton, krill, shrimp, fish oil are all good sources of highly unsaturated fatty acids. So, and then, now, we'll, how yeah. about hoofas? What are
1: what are the sources of like, where can they get those from?
0: The, they, they, they come from most everything in the, the, the carbohydrates, mm-hmm. the uh, um, fish meal. It has that in it. Uh, even the plant meal uh, mm-hmm. has a lot in it. So it comes from base, the basic uh, of the fish food, the, the, me- no. the fish meal source.
1: Now, something else, like I've heard of um, not treating food, but adding things like selco to fish foods. Would that be considered a good source?
0: Yes. Yep. That's what that has in it. Mm -hmm. Cool. And carbohydrates. Now, carbohydrates are basically sugars. And in humans, carbohydrates are our primary energy source. That's why if you eat a lot of carbohydrates, you're eating a lot of sugar. But if you're a couch potato and don't do anything, it converts it into fat. Um, and so carbs become glucose, which feels that fuels the ATP, which is basically the energy center of our cells. The thing is fish get little energy from carbs because you think about it in the natural environment. There aren't many carbs swimming around for a fish to eat. And fish cannot and, and evolutionarily fish cannot di- efficiently digest carbs hmm. because they lack the enzymes for this. This is why feeding extensive, you know, exclusively pellets or flakes is not a good idea or with the goldfish and others where you're feeding lots of pellets they get stuck because they can't digest them the bloat comes from this you're feeding pellets or flakes full of carbs and the fish lack the enzyme to digest the carbs so it sits there so flakes so good
1: thinking back to one of your previous slides where we talked about the different, the animal versus the plant proteins in the foods, like if they can't easily digest those carbs, then, you know, when you're looking at those labels, the labels that, you know, the first few ingredients are like wheat flour and stuff like that, or, you know, that have a lot of ingredients like corn and potato, that's probably not going to be the best for them then.
0: Exactly. You want to. You really do want to limit um, some of that stuff. Is cheap uh, versus fish meal, and fish meal is mostly protein. It's not carbs, but it makes a difference in the price.
1: And two, uh, at least this is what I've heard for human food. I would assume it goes the same for fish food. But when you read the ingredients on there, like the first ingredient is automatically going to be the highest percentage of all of the ingredients. And then it goes further on down the line. So, you know, if the first ingredient is wheat flour or whatever, um, maybe steer clear of that.
0: Correct. And by there's what's called AFCO, American Association of Feed Control Officials. And in many cases, in many States, fish food is more heavily regulated than human food. It's definitely more he- heavily regulated than human supplements and, and vitamins and things like that. And so the there the, the label there's labeling requirements, and some states take this quite seriously and they test. They'll t- they'll go into a fish store and they'll remove um, food from the shelf and they'll take it in their labs and they'll test it and make sure that how you're listing the ingredients is the order, you know, what they found when they analyzed the food and the percent protein it matches what the label says and the f- percent fat and phosphate and all that. So uh, there are organizations, government organizations that test this and keep people uh, honest.
1: That's, that's pretty interesting. I did not know that.
0: Yep. Every state's different. Um, so when you're making a fish food, you get the state's playing off on each other because one state will say your label is in violation for this. And then you change it and another state says, well, hold it. Now your label's in violation. They don't always agree. They're supposed to, but they don't always agree. Uh, And some states are real sticklers. Others are not. Um, So if you make a lot of and sell a lot of fish food, somebody's spending a lot of time in your company just making sure the state Uh, chemists are satisfied with your labels. Um, Now, flakes and pellets, they contain significant amounts of starch. The starch comes from wheat, cornmeal, rice. These all have starch. Um, Potatoes and oats, they all have starch. And humans, as they convert starch to sugar, fish cannot convert starch to sugar. So when you're feeding these or foods that are based on these or have a significant percentage of these, basically that food or or product item is going through the fish, right out solid waste and uh, into the aquarium and becoming organics that are then going to be degraded into ammonia and enter the nitrogen cycle. They fish convert proteins to sugar, not starch. The key difference between fish and humans. So, you really want to f- feed to a certain extent, but more of a high protein diet to fish rather than a high starch diet. And the enzyme we're talking about is called amylase. If people want to look this up, there's been plenty of research on this because fish meal, like I said, which is mostly protein and a lot of good fish foods will have fish meal listed first, but fish meal is expensive. And there's lots of uh, organizations looking at options. What are alternatives to fish meal? Can you use potatoes or wheats or something like that? I mean, one uh, is um, the biggest producer of French fries for McDonald's. Well, they have all this potato waste. What are they going to do with it? They're trying to make a fish food. It turns out... Fish food made out of potato waste is 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 okay, depending on the fish, but not great because it's got too much starch with the fish, which the fish cannot uh, digest. So bloating—that's called—that's from starch in fish; they just cannot digest that food. Uh, Stringy poop, again, it's undigested food. When I say digested, it's it's a simile; it's just—it's no longer looks like you know, a potato, but they didn't eat a potato anyways, but it's not been assimilated. It's just passed through them, but the fish has gotten no nut- nutrition from it. That's the difference between digestion is they kind of ate it and they broke it down. But assimilation's the next step. Did they assimilate? Did they get some nutritional value from the food that they digested? And what's left over is excreted. More starch, eat equals more organic waste. As I said, they can't digest the starch or the gluten. These are the binders that are in the food, and that becomes organic waste. Well, organic waste promote bacteria, right? The bacteria are going to break that down, and they're going to produce ammonia. So the more you feed food that isn't assimilated, the, the more ammonia that's going to be produced in your tank and these bacteria consume oxygen. so you've got this oxygen um, sink just a, a sink some a bunch of bacteria that are consuming oxygen rather than your fish in the system. And it also can clog filters and it you know you don't want a lot of organics or SS or organics in your tank because that's what causes the pollution in your tank.
1: I'm just going to throw this out there for people who haven't listened to the previous podcast on organics. If you haven't, definitely go have a listen. A lot of great information in there on organics. And I think one of the things we talk about is making sure that you do change out your filters.
0: Yep, Get rid of that organic. So there's 15 essential vitamins that fish have to have. They can't make their own vitamins. They have to get it from their food, but too much. Is not good. Just like with humans, you have too much vitamins; it's harmful. Um, and then there's minerals called macro minerals and micro minerals. We won't go into that too much, but again, the fish need to get this from their food. Calcium is very important. Phosphorus. I you mean, know, all, all these are necessary in a well balanced diet.
1: Now, earlier we mentioned we talked a little bit about vitamin C. Um, and about how important it is. And that is one of the vitamins that can be found in foods, but over time it will degrade. sorry. Um, So I I don't know what your thoughts are there. Like I, if I have a fish food container open for a while, usually when I feed, if it's been open, I like to soak some of the food in like some vitamin
0: C. Yeah, definitely soak in some vitamin C. Uh, the, the B complexes are quite important. Vitamin E is quite important, but vitamin C is the one that really breaks down the fastest and one of the most important that the fish, the fish needs. So it'd be you, cool
1: if you could just give fish like a Flintstone vitamin or something like that,
0: <laughs> basically, uh, by, you know, liquid vitamin and you put a drop on the food as it's, uh, Defrosting or something like that, but uh, you definitely need to supplement because the vitamin C disappears quite, quite quickly in foods. Um, How to maintain fish color. I mean, obviously we want our fish to be colorful. It's probably one of the reasons we got them and naturally fish get their color mostly from the algaes, which they get either directly by eating it themselves or by eating a fish that they ate. Uh, also to a certain extent from plant material, and then crustaceans and krill. These are great sources of different types of color pigments that, that fish get. And most feeds, though, we get the, we add color enhancers. We have the red color, which comes from captaxanthin, that comes from paprika, Or the astaxanthin comes from aquacultured algae in in Hawaii, that's the spirulina. The yellows, they can come from xanthophyll, which comes from actually the marigold. So if you're reading a label and you're looking, it's like it's got marigold flowers. I mean, why is my fish food got marigold? Uh, Well, that uh, adds the xanthophylls, which help promote yellow colors in your fish. And there's a lot of science behind that.
1: So, and again, I feel like when you're looking at fish foods or when you're buying a fish food, it should have a lot of these things in it. I mean, when considering like overall balanced food.
0: Right. Definitely. Or, or if your fish food doesn't, you should supplement, you can buy freeze dried krill, you can buy shrimp, um, and you can, um, add that to your fish's diet, you know, just give them a little bit of treat, uh, peas, you know, um, we sell all this freeze dried in convenient grinders that you can add to the diet.
1: Yes. I actually used some of our, uh, little extras in the grinders for my fish tank this morning, just to give them a little breakfast treat.
0: Yep. Uh, and it really makes, it's a, makes a big difference in the, in the color of the fish and their health. Um, Then there's also immunostimulants. Now immunostimulants, they're not, they're not nutritive, you know, they're not giving the fish vitamins or minerals, but what they're doing is they're stimulating the fish's defenses against pathogens, uh, increasing disease resistance, it's just like with us with with eating some of the foods that we eat nowadays, we know more about human nutrition that we can keep the cells in better shape to fight off diseases. Uh, one of them is glucans or beta glucans. Um, you'll, you'll read in the back of the label that they have, uh, you know, beta glucans. Well, that's what this is for. Or chitin. You know, they're adding sh- uh, shrimp cells or, cra- or shells, or crab shells or crustaceans. It's because it produces or adds chitin to the diet which is an immunostimulant or seaweed extracts and sometimes it's hard to know what these are because they're very strict labeling requirements and you can't say i'm adding you know shrimp uh shell you have to say chitin and people just gloss over well, chitin whatever that is well it's shrimp shells or crab shells which is what you need um and then it's subject to probiotics, which is kind of a pet peeve of mine, because some people will say nitrifying bacteria are probiotics, but that's not true. Probiotics have a def- definition for microbiologists, and that are live microorganisms, which benefit directly the host. And um, it, the live microorganisms can be deactivated, but but they're directly the organism eats, it's like you take your yogurt in with probiotics, you're getting a health effect. In the case of nitrifiers, the nitrifiers aren't helping the fish live, they're getting rid of the ammonia, which then helps the fish live, which just stretches the definition. And in that case, all bacteria are probiotic, and then it makes the definition worthless. But this is microorganisms that directly convey a benefit to the fish. And there's also you'll hear prebiotics. Now, prebiotics are not microorganisms. Prebiotics are generally organic compounds, and they're indigestible. The fish can't um, can't digest the prebiotic, but the probiotic or the bacteria in the fish can. And so, the prebiotics help the bacterial population. Uh, in the fish already in the gut, your gut, the fish's gut, uh, are full of bacteria and we need those bacteria for health reasons. That's what's digesting. And then, so we can assimilate the nutrients and the prebiotics help the, uh, native flora that's in your system. I mean, why do you, why do humans get diarrhea to a certain extent? It's because the bacteria that are living in our guts that are digesting the food are upset. And that's why just, you know, they, people, the doctors stress, don't just take antibiotics. Why? Because you can be killing, you will be killing the flora that you need in your gut. We need bacteria in our gut to survive because they're the ones that are actually doing the work to break down this food into uh, what we the substances we need.
1: Now, I have a probiotics question, right? So if you guys know anything about me, I, I used to work for a fish food company and one of the products we sold was a probiotic and you're a bacteria guy. Are the probiotics like the live bacteria in there? If those foods are cooked at like a high temperature. That's going to kill off the, the beneficial bacteria, right?
0: Yes. I mean, there's, okay. people, there's companies that want to claim that they have flake foods that have probiotics, but there's no evidence that that actually works um, because those high temperatures will cook the bacteria. Yep.
1: So cooking method is a, is important. And I'm going to, I'm going to, go back a slide. Cause I just thought of something when we were talking about, um, immune boosters. So this is a touchy subject. There's a lot of debate around it, but garlic, um, would you consider that something to be good that you should look for in foods?
0: I do now. And I realize there's controversy, but the, the, the people generated in the controversy don't provide any negative evidence. Where if you look at the aquaculture industry, which I mean, before I joined, you know, Marineland, I was in the aquaculture industry for 10 years where our paycheck depended upon growing healthy fish to sell to restaurants and stores. And garlic is one of these what's called GRS, generally recognized as safe <coughs> excuse, excuse me, additives to a fish food. So you don't have to have a permit or anything. And there's lots of evidence that shows that garlic has a positive health effect for fish. So why the controversy? Well, what I would say is that there's lots of forms of garlic. Are we talking garlic oil? Are we talking ground up garlic? How much garlic did you put in the food? You know, if you're testing something, do you really know how much is in there? And so the, the negative. Well, the people that, that don't like it, I would say, haven't really tested it right. They're using anecdotal evidence. Well, I did this and it didn't do anything. But what did you actually do? What was the percentage garlic? What was the type of garlic? Um, it's, it's doing fish nutrition studies is much more involved than just adding a food or feeding fish of food. You read these studies and there are huge institutes. I mean, UC Davis, University of Alabama, Auburn University, these places are very involved in aquaculture food because just think of the millions of tons of fish that are produced each year. I mean, aquaculture is a huge industry, just like chicken farming, and people want to provide a quality, healthy product And you're not allowed to use antibiotics on most of these organisms. But truthfully, most farmers don't. They want a different way to keep their their, uh, crop, which is what it is, healthy. And garlic can definitely help. But it's the form that you provide and how you provide it is what will determine whether it's going to be even available for the fish. But overall, I'm a fan of garlic, which is why we sell freeze-dried garlic that you can supplement to your food.
1: I too am a big fan of garlic, not, not just for the fish, but also for humans as well. I've heard that there's a ton of amazing benefits.
0: There are, there definitely are, are a lot of benef- benefits, benefits to feeding, defeating garlic or eating garlic on a regular basis. Um, I mean, why the wives tale of keeping vampires away, but it's got lots of positive health effects. <laughs> not that we have to be worried about vampires. Right. Um, now, I talked about goldfish. This is my backyard pond. Uh, I have three ponds in the backyard. And uh, goldfish and koi are a special case in that they don't possess a stomach. They have a, a area of their intestine where the pH is quite low. Uh, and they're called what, what what we call opportunistic omnivores, which basically means they're going to put anything, they're going to eat anything. They're like a little baby. They're going to, anything they can get, they're going to eat, at least put in their mouth and see if they can eat it. Um, and this is the difference between digestion and in, uh, ingest. You know, they, they ingest it means they put it in their mouth and they spit it out. Well, if they swallow it, then it starts the digestion process. And then the assimilation, do they get some nutrient value? Goldfish diets need to be high in roughage. So uh, alfalfa is quite common versus wheat or corn or something like that. But too much protein will lead to too much waste. That's why you you don't usually see a goldfish diet be 40% protein like when I was a fish farmer, striped bass, a very top level carnivore doesn't do well. They won't grow well. They won't grow fast. They'll get deformities if they're fed a low protein plant-based diet. So if you go to the store and you're looking at a koi diet, it's going to be maybe 20, 25% protein because it has more plant in it versus a catfish or trout diet, which is a more um, animal protein-based diet. You also... They don't like a lot of oil. So some people, if they've got their koi, they just go to a feed store and uh, they'll buy a catfish diet or a trout diet. And the trout diets are the worst because the trout diets have these oils that trout need. They're not good for your uh, koi or your goldfish. Ash is basically waste. You want that uh, less than 10%.
1: You know, this slide makes me go back to one of the things we were talking about towards the very beginning of this is how important it is to know your fish. You're not going to, you know, even if you have a community tank or if you have goldfish, too, or you've got multiple systems, like you want to make sure that you have a food for each of your fish. Goldfish aren't going to be able to, you know, get as much benefit out of, you know, say your community fish food as they would. That's one that's tailored specifically for them.
0: Right. And, and if you have goldfish, you don't want to feed a diet high in animal protein. It's just going to clog them up. You might think you're doing well. I'm feeding this expensive diet, but you're not. You're actually hurting the fish by feeding it a diet that they can't really digest. It just clogs them up. Um, so what would I do? People ask me, you know, "All what, what are you going to do? What, how, what do I feed? I have koi. I have uh, fish here in the lab. And do I feed flake? A little bit. It's, it's not my go-to food. I do like pellets, um, especially for koi. They're basically the easiest way to feed koi. But I feed a diet that is limited amount of starch and high in alfalfa, things like that. Freeze-dried foods are great. You just have to realize that uh, it's going to vary with, with the season. Like right now, we we generally sell gamaris. And for some reason around the world, there's a gamaris shortage. So it's very hard to get. So sometimes you can't get all that. But freeze-dried peas, if you have betta fish, you should be feeding freeze-dried freeze dried peas. They love it. They just tear that up versus maybe some shrimp or worm, a little bit of shrimp, um, but the key here is vary the diet, vary the diet. Frozen is good, but know your source and also know that on the negative side, if they haven't been irradiated, then they can be a carrier of disease, especially in the summertime, because they're harvested from areas that are warm. There can be disease organisms in there. Freezing does not kill all the pathogenic bacteria. And The preservative used in most frozen foods is phosphorus-based. So if you don't rinse your frozen food, you're adding a lot of phosphorus to your tank, which can spur algae growth and things like that. Live food is generally okay. It depends on the live food. Feeding goldfish, no, I don't do that. Uh, It's just the goldfish are a shell. The fish aren't getting anything that near the nutrition that they need because all goldfish aren't eating anything that they can then give to the fish that just ate them. They're not very well gut loaded. Gels, this is the food that I feed. Yes, uh, I developed Dr. Tim's gel food. I think it's pr- pretty much the easiest way to f- feed a complete diet because it has very low to no starch. You can add anything. You can grind in peas, you can grind in garlic, you can put the selco in there. You can put anything you want into these gel-based foods. And there isn't a fish that I've found that doesn't take them. Even the carnivores, you know, cichlids love it. Marine fish love it. Community fish love it. It's just um, a great all-around food. It's what a lot of public aquariums feed. Yep. Uh,
1: you know, I personally i i i don't feed a lot of gels, but gels are my go to if you have to do any sort of medicating because you can just mix the medication right in there and feed it to the fish. Um, I've actually done it with my cowfish before. I've medicated and fed just him that way. I didn't have to treat the whole tank, and I know that he's getting the medication. So
0: that's the key thing for, for for many fish. Unless you can get the medication inside of them, it's not going to help you've got to get it in them. And you can do medicated pellets and things like that, but it's a pain and it's much easier if they're used to the gels, they're feeding on the gels. You can add the medication to the gels and get it right into the fish.
1: And to something else, I've got to, I just finished filming a video about feeding and stuff. And especially for saltwater fish, gels can um, like for enrichment for fish, it can really help to simulate some of their like more natural feeding patterns and stuff. Like, you know, you could put them like down towards the rocks or, you know, versus just floating on the surface or in the middle of the water column.
0: Right. Yeah. You can put them in molds or different things and and put them in many different areas of the water column.
1: Brain molds for Halloween.
0: That's it. Little, little, commercial for Dr. Tim's. This is an introduction to our beneficial fish food. So it's a gel-based food. The gel is uh, algae. It's seaweed from the ocean. Um, salmon is a great poofa and poofas. Uh, nice fatty acids with the menhaden. Blueberries are great antioxidants. So this is all in this food along with carrots, each. And it c- contains lactobacillus probiotics. We talked about the marigolds and the uh, spirulina. Is our extras? We have freeze dried peas and shrimp and garlic and seaweeds. The garlic, the peas, and the seaweed are human food. The seaweeds are 100% certified natural in these grinders, and you can grind it right into the, the gels. And to learn more, you go to drtims.com, drtimsaquatics.com. You basically microwave uh, half a cup of water add a pouch, stir it, add it to the tray, grind in your uh, extras, and then freeze it. And you've got a great food that I think is what the important part is, is it doesn't have all that starch. So it's a lot cleaner. Your tank is not going to have all that organic material. And it can be tailored to your fish, if you've got fish, there's the, the garlic over on the left, peas, seaweeds, if you spirulina, and if you've uh, got fish that need more color, you can add the shrimp, the river shrimp or the gamaris have great mineral uh, profiles, great color profiles. Um, really a complete diet. It's what we feed all the fish in the lab uh, in here at, Marine, at uh, Dr. Tim's
1: really love all of these extras it's like being able to like let your fish have a buffet yeah, for dinner you're
0: you're you, you know you make up 90 cubes and that's several weeks for most fish and you know you, you can do bigger cubes and we have bigger sizes but um it's just super convenient especially if you're going to go on vacation the person taking you know you've you've convinced someone to keep care of your tank Feed five. They can count to five. They can count to ten. You know, feed three cubes, and they Definitely. can do that instead of a pinch. Well, what's a pinch? So the take-home message here is: no matter the fish you keep or the food you feed, learn about the fish. Where does it eat in the water column? What does it naturally uh, eat? You know, more algae, live, a special diet. I mean, that's the problem with with some marine fish is they eat a very specialized diet. They just can't be kept in, in captivity by, by a norm, you know, by a regular person, by a highly trained person, yes, at a but not for the rest of us. Mix it up, provide a mixture of plant and animal proteins, provide a mixture of food types. Flake is fine once in a while. Pellets, maybe some frozen, but just variant. And then, you know, know, am am I doing well? Am I feeding right? Is this working? Well, look at the body changes. Look at the color. If the fish were colorful and are now drab, if the belly sunken, if the fish looks a little crooked, well, that tells you there's something wrong with the diet. And that can be fixed if you catch it soon enough.
1: I will make a point Even if you change the sort of food, you're probably not going to see results immediately overnight. It might take, you know, a week or so. Think, you know, if you get sick and you're given an antibiotic, you're not going to get well immediately. It's got to take some time for, you know, that stuff to kick in and get you back on course.
0: Right. It's, it's going to, good point. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's not an overnight change, uh, with the fish. So stick with it and it will help. And that's it. That's our talk on fish nutrition. We hope you've enjoyed it. Any questions, you can always contact us at info at drtimsaquatics.com. And we hope to see you uh, on another podcast.